Welcome everyone to episode four of the MBE Enterprise Podcast, where we talk about money, business, and entrepreneurship with some of the brightest minds I know. Today I am joined by Chad Chugum, entrepreneurship major and founder of Rarities Market. Chad, how are you doing today? I'm great, Matt. How are you? I'm doing amazing. Thank you for asking. Anytime I get to do one of these podcasts with somebody, I'm super excited and I'm really looking forward to this one especially. So Chad, I think the first thing I want to ask you today is kind of where's where's Rarities Market at? Um, explain to the to the listeners kind of what that is, what it's all about, why you wanted to start it. Kind of, t- kind of take me back to the origins of Rarities Market as a whole. Yeah, so Rarities Market started... Uh, about a year and a half ago now, um, just sort of out of ambition um, to do something a little bit, a little bit different. I've been sort of creating businesses since I was, you know, like eight years old, and um, I, I've been buying and selling collectible coins for the last maybe seven or so. And I sort of got like not not sick of it, but doing something like you know, just like buying and selling stuff over and over again, it gets really repetitive. And at the end of the day, you're not really solving any real problems and you're not really creating anything. So Rarities Market was my attempt at creating real value, a real business um, and something that could really you know, scale. Um, so it started off as a way for people to buy ultra rare and expensive coins, collectible coins. And basically we were going to be taking expensive coins that maybe would cost $50,000 a rough, um, typically only available to, you know, the ultra rich and basically allow anyone to buy into these coins fractionally, just like they would with stocks. And so that lasted about six months. I ended up creating the company after, you know, sort of like ideating off of it for a while and just throwing it around. I pitched it in a pitch competition um, in October of 2022. And that's sort of when it became real for me. I also went through a, an accelerator program and, you know, it, it really held me accountable to actually pursuing the idea. And so through pitching it and iterating on it, I, I went from the, the fractional investing platform, which itself was, I think, a really good idea. A lot of people were really interested in it. It just wasn't super feasible in terms of the development costs, the legal and compliance costs, as you can imagine. Um, and so I, I decided to get to market faster that I wanted to pivot into something else. And that then brought us to a marketplace, um, which I pitched at a couple other competitions, ended up doing pretty well in. And that gave us some extra funding and encouragement to continue with the business. Um, and throughout the summer, this last summer, I had a lot of time to reflect on what we were building. We actually got pretty far into what we were building from like technology side. And so we, we got to start showing our users, you know, the, the product and getting feedback from them. And from doing that, I actually realized that one of the features that we were pushing out with, with our product as a whole, which at that point was, was more of a, like a database for coins, was getting a lot of attention. And I posted it on Facebook to a, a group of, of coin collectors that I had known from buying and selling coins. And they were all really, not all, we had like 20 or so people that were really interested in this small feature that we had just built out. Um, so, so now what we're basically doing is we're running with that momentum full speed ahead and we're building software tools for small businesses to allow them to better manage their inventories, um, to help them with their data analytics and to grow their business. And we're starting with those coin collectors and coin dealers. And we're hoping that, you know, as we raise some money and, and grow the business that we can really bring this to to what I've been doing, you know, my whole life, which is reselling things and and help people like myself grow their business. Awesome, yeah. So when you talk about those businesses within kind of that coin collecting space, I'm someone who is totally new, totally newbie level when it comes to everything in that category. Essentially, could you kind of describe to people a little bit more in depth, kind of what that what some of those businesses might do in that coin collecting space or coin transactional space and just kind of describe the whole space in general a little bit. Yeah. So what I usually do to, to give some context for coin collecting is I'd say, you know, think of your grandpa, um, think of the, the wheat pennies he might have in his, his cupboard. Um, it's basically just the collecting, 
you know, the action of collecting physical coins, you know, like money you would spend maybe a hundred years ago. Um, and there's a surprisingly large market of a couple million coin collectors in the United States. And, you know, they're just collecting like pennies from, you know, maybe 1915 or something old, old antique and, you know, unique coins. And the, the businesses typically that exist within the coin and other collectible markets are more one-off, you know, just sort of like small teams buying and selling items. They're buying from collectors, they're marking them up and then selling to collectors. Um, and, and that's typically how those industries work. And, you know, there's, there's thousands of these dealers, but there's not a lot of, of technology. And that's sort of the gap that we wanted to fill. Can you take me through a little bit more the technological aspects of your company in particular, kind of what maybe went into developing some of the technologies that you're using both now and, and maybe going forward? Yeah, so I'm actually not the developer on our project. Um, I wish I had that experience, and I'm actually trying to learn learn that. And I think that's a really valuable tool for you know anyone that wants to have a tech business that we could talk about later. Um, but I got lucky with a referral and was able to find a, another student at a local school um, who's actually pretty good at, at web development. So I brought him on in January. Um, he started building up this platform sort of on the side for us while we were trying to make our, you know, work on the business stuff. And he, you know, he did a really good job building that out. And we've since built out a platform at rariesvalue.com. If anyone wants to just like check it out, you know, even if you're not a coin collector, it might give you some context for what we're doing. Um, But we basically have an inventory management system right now where collectors or coin dealers can enter the items that they have for sale um, or in their inventory sort of into like a spreadsheet view. Um, and we basically think of it like a, you know, a spreadsheet that has, you know, maybe a one up on traditional spreadsheets. Like we have ways to track different cells um, and we're working on formulas to, to create advanced reporting. Um, eventually we want to make it where dealers can actually go in there and record their sales. Um, and, and so that's sort of the technology that we're building right now. I think there's a lot of ways we could take it in the future, whether we want to focus on you know, the coin technology itself, which is typically what we had focused on in, you know, the months past, or if we want to do more of like a small business, you know, software um, company. But, you know, th- there's a bunch of different ways we can take it. Um, and I guess we're just, for, as far as like the future technology is concerned, we're mostly just going to look for what our customers really want. For sure. And for those wondering, the monetization side of your business how do you charge the businesses? Well, you know, what are you, are you charging for them to simply use your platform? Are you taking a percentage of every transaction? Kind of um, give me some insights into how that's sort of working, at least for now. Yeah, so we, we started off, we, we've sort of been through about all of them at this point, trying to figure out what fits best in our business model. Uh, we started off with a transactional model, um, you know, trying to take a, when we were doing the marketplace and the fractional investing idea, our goal was to take a percentage on every transaction, you know, but we found that this might not be super viable just because the items are typically really expensive. And as a result, the coins, coin dealers or coin sellers, I should say, um, they, they typically move like work on a really small margin, you know, you know they might make five or 10%. And so charging them, you know, a five or 10% sales price or, or commission fee, just isn't quite going to work. So our, our idea now is to charge a, a monthly recurring uh, fee. Um, we're, we're sort of yet to determine what that price is going to be, but something that's you know affordable to, to small to small resellers. For sure. So essentially the plan is that rarities market would turn into kind of like the Amazon marketplace for rare coins. Is my kind of understanding that correctly? Like that would be the place that people would go to do any buying and selling of that, or am I understanding that not quite right? Um, yeah, I, I think that's one way we could take it. Um, it really depends. I think the other way we could look at it is like, and this is sort of more of where I'm shifting. You're definitely right in saying um, that's sort of, I think, more of what we were doing. Um, I think now where I'm at mentally is more of like a, a QuickBooks um, for people that might not have the time or the expertise in accounting to really learn QuickBooks. Um, and, and a solution that's really tailored to help manage the business 
more so than being involved in the transactional piece. Um, but we could certainly, I think, take it to more marketplace. Um, it's just, we'll see what, what our customers and users really, really determine they want. Gotcha. I love that perspective, by the way, of just basing it off of, I mean, as you know, what the, what the customer wants, because they ultimately are, they're everything, right? So I think that's extremely smart. And the fact that you're looking at that right away and have that frame of mind is, is definitely a good stepping stone um, to start. One thing you also mentioned is that you have that developer um, that joined forces with you right away. And that's actually one of the questions I kind of wanted to get into with you is the idea of solopreneur versus building a team or having a partnership with somebody going forward. Um, could I get some of your thoughts on just maybe the plus sides of both of those, the downsides of both of them, and then kind of where you see yourself at, obviously on the, the team side to start, but. Yeah. So I've, I've had a number of businesses, as I mentioned earlier, and they've historically just been me, um, you know, small one person businesses, I think kind of makes up probably most small businesses. Um, I don't have any facts to back that up, but at least from, you know, the people I talk to in our, our age level, hiring people really isn't a thought. And a lot of times it's more so from a, you know, a financial resource perspective, it's expensive to hire people and to retain them. And that's something that I've learned over the last year. Um, but I totally think it's worth it. Um, but I also think it sort of depends like on your goals. Um, you know, it, there's nothing wrong with just having a one person business and making, you know, a certain amount of money. Like you can make six figures with a one person business. Um, not that really not that difficult if you, if you find a market and can scale it right. Um, but if you really want to create something that's really large, I think, and, you know, like massive impact, I think you have to, you have to get a team. And what, what hiring my first employees has taught me is that there, you know, you, you don't have to be the best at anything. If you're an entrepreneur, if you can find someone who's good at what they do, like for example, our developer is a million times better than me at making websites. I could never, I, I shouldn't say I'm, I'm trying to learn how, but you know, where I'm at now, I, I wouldn't even know how to approach it. Um, I don't have to be a developer to have a technology startup. And I'm realizing that, you know, I can kind of just, you know, lead people in a direction. And as long as I hire the right people, I can get, you know, top talent or top results um, by having a team. So that's sort of my, my long way of saying, I, I think it's totally valid to have, you know, a one person business. I run, you know, a one person business with um, a part-time employee and it's, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's, it's a one person business. Um, but this, this new technology startup that I, that I have is giving me a perspective into actually growing a team and scaling a team. And now that's definitely where my ambition lies. So one of the things you brought up there was impact. If you really want to have a large scale impact, hiring employees helps you get to that point quicker. Um, are there specific, is there a specific impact that you would like to make on the world? Is there a specific end goal you have with this or, and does that tie into why you got started with uh, rarities market, the, the coin market in particular? Yeah. I'm not sure how deep you want, you want me to go into like the philosophy of, of everything that I think, but, um, I was, I was pretty lucky to have some, you know, business success as, you know, as a teenager. And, um, I think having that has sort of given me a perspective, um, that, you know, I think I'm capable of, of doing some pretty cool things in my life and, you know, eventually I'm going to die and eventually, you know, everything that I've worked for, you know, I can't work on it anymore and I'm a bit of a workaholic. So I really just want to see how far I can get, you know, what I can create um, and and leaving an impact, you know, with a, a bigger business or a bigger idea is, is really something that I'm trying to learn right now. And, you know, how do I, how do I think bigger? How do I scale my ideas and how do I, you know, go from just buying and selling coins to changing, you know, a $4 billion rare coin industry? You also brought up the fact, Chad, that you are kind of a workaholic. Um, you you mentioned that side business that you have going right now. How do you balance 
um, kind of your main time gig with Rarities Market and then also that side business. And, and what is that, that side business? Yeah, so I buy and sell coins um, on the side and I have for last like seven years or so. And I do that in addition to obviously Rarities Market and trying to build you know, new technologies. And it is definitely a challenge. Um, that business is you know still doing pretty well. We get pretty good amount of volume, order volume. Um, it's, it's slowed down a bit since I've, you know, tried to focus more of my time on Rarity's market, but it still, it still takes up, you know, probably like 15 or 20 hours a week, I would, I would estimate at least. And there was a point, you know, not too long ago before I got into it, that I was working 80 plus hours a week, you know, every single week for months on end. Um, and through doing that, I really realized, um, honestly, that like less is more and that the life balance part to me is so much more important. And oddly enough, I've actually been more productive with my businesses and I made more money working less because I can just see like a, you know, 30,000 foot view of what's happening. And instead of working in my business, I can work on my business. So I think, you know, this is something that entrepreneurs are always going to struggle with. I struggle with it all the time. Um, I probably will never crack the code, but I find that prioritizing, you know, your work-life balance and you know, really like focusing on what really matters in your life while also being, you know, mindful that you have a business. And I, don't, I just feel like that has, has been so beneficial to me just in terms of being able to see the world like bigger. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have to ask going on that. Have you read the book? I don't know if you are a big avid reader or not, but have you read the book? Have you ever read the book, the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss? You know, that's like, so I I should work more or I should read more. I should not work more. I should read more. Um, but that's actually like one of the, one of the few books in the last couple of years that I've actually had the time to sit down and read through. And that's probably where a lot of my mindset has come from. Um, that is a great book. I I love the philosophy of it. Um, you know, I don't think I'm ever going to work a four-hour work week, but the principles of, you know, really like stepping aside. And it, it was a while ago since I actually read the book, so hopefully I have a, you know, a good explanation for it. But if I remember correctly, it's like focus more on on what's important, and um, you know, the work itself can kind of be scaled. And, and like it focuses on like the 80 20 principle, right? Um, and the amount of this, like decisions I've made actually based on the 80 20 principle, um, and that book, I guess, has been kind of amazing. Like over the last couple of years, it's, it's significantly altered what I do and how I do things. And I mean, even this week, I've taken a look and said, um, you know, th- these results, uh, like I made for buying and selling coins, for example, I made probably most of the money that I'll make this month. Um, just like flipping real quick wholesale transaction from, you know, just like getting stuff in, moving it to a big dealer out West. Um, I'll make more money from that transaction than if I were to work probably 160 hours you know, trying to just flip through stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. And I, I definitely think like the 80-20 principle in that book are, are worth a read. And if you start thinking through, you know, that, that concept, um, I think you're able to scale a lot better. That's a theory I'm trying to, you know, to work on for sure. For sure. And could you actually describe the 80-20 principle just a little bit more in depth for any listeners that yeah, may not be sure. positive on what that is? Yeah, so I I hope I have this correct. Um, like I said, it's been a, been a couple of years, but but to my understanding, the eighty twenty principle states that you basically get eighty percent of your result from from twenty percent of your work. And so, if, you know, in my case, if I make, and you know, I, I'm not going to give you the numbers, but if I make say ten dollars one month, I hope I make more than that. But eight eight of those dollars are coming from you know maybe. 10 hours of that work. Um, my math definitely off there, but the, the 30 hours that I'm working, then if I'm working a 40 hour work week are then making me $2. And so it's more, 
it's the principle is like, you know, focus on, on scaling the, you know, the two, the 10 hours a week that's making you $8 and try to cut out or outsource the rest. And what that allows you to do is, you know, is to grow your business because having a business is really, you know, there's some kind of mundane work and it's, it's not fun sometimes. Um, and a lot of times I think entrepreneurs don't realize that, um, you know, the bulk of like the results are coming from a really small number of things. I'm trying to be more aware of that in my own businesses and it's made me a lot more money for sure. Yeah, I think you did a great job of explaining that too for, for people who might have been wondering on that. And I've actually heard a lot of things recently as far as the people in the sales industry goes talking about sort of that 80-20 principle. And in that case, it's like, okay, I've started a business centered around sales. Whatever the the product or the service is, um, the actual selling of it, right, is what matters. That's what makes you money. So after they've scaled it to, you know, a serviceable size to the point where they can maybe start hiring employees, which is obviously a task in itself to get it to that level. Um, then they get to the point where they sit down and think about, okay, what am I bringing that's actually extremely valuable? And what they might be best at is high-end closing, for example. So actually closing the sales with their high-end customers. And then you can start to think about it kind of with the 80-20 principle in mind of, okay, I'm going to outsource essentially everything else that goes on with this. And I am going to spend that 20% of time hammering down and closing those high-end customers that I have because that's what really matters most for the company. And I've also heard Alex Hormozzi, I mention him a lot on this, on this podcast. Um, I've heard him talk about when you build a business, you should be thinking at least partially about how you are going to be able to kind of get out of it or how you will be working on it, like you mentioned, as opposed to working in it. Because I think that's something that my entrepreneurship journey over the last six months or so and meeting a lot of new connections has really taught me is the idea of most people think an entrepreneur is going to start something and they are going to work on that particular thing until they die. And that might be the case for some people. But for other people that just have that entrepreneurial mindset and spirit and don't necessarily have a super passion or super love for their first business and like, excuse me, what industry that may actually be in, I think then it's really huge to know that, okay, you're going to want to scale this in five to 10 years, however long it may take, eventually sell out of it and then start something new because what you love is the game itself mm -hmm. and not just the money that you're maybe bringing in that might be part of it. But however, if you do not set up your organization in a way that maybe you are the face of the brand, the brand cannot exist without you, you put yourself in a position that you are unable to actually pivot out of it and move into something else and still be able to make the, the more passive income maybe from overseeing things from afar. So I think that is definitely an interesting perspective to have on it as well. Now I want to go back a little bit. You talked about you being a workaholic and how you've shifted your mindset to more towards that four-hour workweek style. Um, and for those of you wondering, The 4-Hour Workweek is a book by Tim Ferriss. I'm actually only like 60, 70 pages into it right now. It's what I'm reading currently. Um, but what you said, it just, it just, it was so true. Like it stuck so hard to what that book actually is about. And it's like, like Chad said, it's essentially leveraging your time it's big about leveraging um leveraging your time to the point where you can get your requirement uh your daily tasks your work done um in a quicker time frame or outsource it to the point where you don't actually have to slave away doing it and then wait until your age i know the big concept is waiting until you're 65 70 75 to retire and then enjoy your life right he talks mm -hmm. about taking many vacations throughout where essentially this concept comes in is not so much having a million dollars, but making 50,000 or, you know, a solid salary in a shorter period of time so that you can mm -hmm. actually spend your time doing what you want outside of that 20% working. And then also the idea of freedom of physical space, not being tied down to an office, like getting your work to the point where you can do it while you're on the go, because then you are allowed to do things like travel while you're still making your money and you don't have to be sitting in that office space. 
Um, but going back to this, you talked about how you were a workaholic and now you've shifted that mindset. Was it just that book that made you shift that mindset or what are some of the things that kind of went into that? Go ahead and get a little philosophical here if you want, Chad. Um, what are kind of some things that went into that mindset shift? Because frankly, it's contrary to what most people believe with entrepreneurship that you have to be a workaholic and maybe it's more efficient, maybe it's not, who knows, but it's a pretty big mindset shift to have as an entrepreneur going forward. So if you could explain that a little bit for us. Yeah, I was very much, you know, a couple of years ago, like during COVID, um, I graduated high school and I took a, a gap year to just work. And I was very much in the, the boat of, you know, work all the time. And I said 80 hours, I was working every pretty much waking moment. Like I would work from the point I got up, um, you know, to the point to the point I went to bed, um, and seven days a week too. And you know, I was miserable. I made a lot of money, um, and that definitely helped. You know, helped me kind of move on with things in the, in the future. But and I was miserable, and I really at the end created nothing of value. You know, I was working a job. Um, I wasn't, I was too sort of in my business. I was grinding day to day, working on, you know, getting packages in and out, processing inventory, um, you know, listing items for sale. And, you know, I ended up just like shutting down that business because, you know, it had no tangible value after I, after I stopped working on it. And that taught me a lot about, you know, how, how to maybe be an entrepreneur. Um, and I, I, I don't want to, you know, say that you, you can't work hard. I mean, you obviously, you have to work hard as an entrepreneur. I mean, I'm always still working. My mind's always still on the businesses, but I think it's more about like, you know, like being intentional about your, intentional about your work. Um, if I'm working 40 hours a week and I'm doing it with a purpose, that is going to beat out you know, someone working 120 hours a week every single time. And I've proven that to myself. And that's why I believe that. I think that book definitely helped. Um, but, you know, intentionally working on, on what really matters within your business is, I think, how you scale. And so it's a, it's a concept that I'm trying to do more of. Um, you know, I would love to work 10 hours a week, you know, and just like, you know, run a business from, you know, a cruise boat somewhere. Um, and I, I think that's, you know, hopefully where I'm headed and that I think it's totally possible too. It's just, it's about trying to think of your business, you know, in terms of scale, um, and really just like continuously learning what works and what doesn't work for you, you know, 120 hours a week might work for someone that doesn't work for me. And, you know, knowing that I think, well, you know, it could save, save everything. It could even save your life. You know, it was not a good time for me. Um, and I, I learned a lot about, about myself and how, you know, working from the moment I get up to the moment I go to bed, it's, it's, it's really toxic. And I, I, you know, I could go down a rabbit hole with this, but I, I think it's, it's something that, you know, as young people who really want to get ahead, it's something that we need to work on. And it's something that we really need to be, you know, cognizant of. Um, you know, some people are built to work like that. Um, but I think most people aren't and finding some sort of like balance in your life is definitely more important because at the end of the day, you know, you could be the richest person in the world. Um, you know, hundred years, odds are maybe the richest person in the world. You could be the fifth richest person in the world. Odds are in a hundred years, no one's going to remember you. So, you know, enjoy life while you're here, I guess. And, uh, I mean, it's just work. It's really just work. One concept I want to touch on there, and I, I essentially agree with everything you said there, that the idea of, and it's easy to say, right? Obviously, if you can work less and make the same amount of money, like, duh, right. you're going to work yeah. less, right? But what I think what we're really talking about here is working 100-hour weeks, to squeeze out a little bit more money just because it's a little bit more money as opposed to understanding, okay, how many hours a week, like we said, the 80, 20 rule, how many hours a week can I work and still live the level of life realistically that I want to live right now? 
And I think that's a big piece of it. But one thing I want to bring up with that, Chad, is how were you able, and perhaps answering for other entrepreneurs who maybe are not at that point yet, the the monetization process. So, and actually going back further, the ideation process. So when you're coming up with a business idea or a business concept, there's differing views on whether you should charge for that right away, whether it's a service, you know, give, give as much value as possible for free right away, you know, to build loyalty, uh, brand support. Um, what I'm curious is what's kind of your thoughts on that. And it seems like you started out as more of a, I don't want to say it like this, but like almost you, like you were the transaction man, like you were the middleman yeah. kind of with, with some yeah. of that stuff, yeah. like almost a, almost a drop shipper of rare coins kind yeah. of in a way. No, I, I think that's fair. Yeah. So that is a, is a model that obviously monetizes right away. So say you were going and starting your next venture, but you were in the same position where you also are young and you, d- you didn't have the money thing figured out yet. Would you always attack it from the angle of monetizing right away, making some money right away? Or would you more try and play, you know, the long game of like, okay, I'm, I might not get paid for the first three years. I might not make anything. I'm going to have to live broke. Cause I think that's where the grinding aspect comes in is when people are not making any money yet, when they're trying to bootstrap that thing off bare ground, uh, no financial backing really. I mean, there's some, but but not much. So that that's kind of the question I want to ask you. Would you always go for the monetize a little bit, get some income stream coming in early? And if that didn't seem feasible, would you pivot out of that? Would it, you know, de- it depends on a lot of factors, obviously, but how would you kind of attack that going forward? Yeah, so I'll make a, I think what was an important distinction um, and maybe ask you kind of what exactly, I mean, I can attack both, I think, angles of it first. Um, and let me know if I left anything out for you, but I think it's important to distinguish between, you know, what you're paying yourself as a, a business owner um, and actually monetizing your business. I pay myself like, you know, I, I'm making like McDonald's wages. If I'm, if you, if you really look at it, like that's what I'm paying myself for school, my apartment, my car, you know, I'm living on like as little as possible to reinvest in my business. Um, but my business is, you know, we're building them to, to be monetized as quickly as possible. You know, I, I was talking to a developer today during our meeting and I, I sort of, you know, reiterated to him, like, you know, we want to build out, you know, the actual process of creating, you know, or, or creating a subscription on the user's account, like as soon as possible. If I could, if there's one thing that I could build out tomorrow, you know, that would be it. Um, and I think, any business, the goal of any business is it wants to be successful. Um, it, it depends on your budget. We can go into that too, but most businesses, most businesses should try to get from no revenue to revenue as quickly as possible. Um, they should try to sell. Like what I learned it as is sell, sell consistently, and excel at you know at, at margin, and then sell at scale. Um, so you want to like try to you want to basically you know try to make that first dollar as soon as possible. And then you want to prove and validate the business model and prove that you can sell that, you know, more than once. And then you want to prove that you can sell it, um, you know, at a point where you're actually making money. And then you want to try to grow it as much as possible. And so if you adopt that frame, you know, sort of that mindset with your business, um, it, it makes your odds of success a lot higher. And one thing people will realize is they're in a business that takes a lot of capital to run, like technology startups. Um, you only have so much runway and obviously that's like, you know, how much money you have in the account before you're out of money. Um, you only have so much of that before you, you got to raise money or, you know, throw in the towel. And, uh, if you're not monetizing, it's really difficult to raise money and it's really difficult to cover your expenses. So yeah, I basically hope that I answered that well for you, but, um, I would say pay yourself as little as possible, but try to actually monetize the business as soon as possible um, and as aggressively as possible. Unless, important distinction, you've raised a ton of money um, or what you're doing, I like this podcast, for example, um, 
you know, I don't think it's super important for you to monetize it today or tomorrow. I think building up that, you know, that, that process and that content and that library of videos in the past is way more important. Um, but it, it, your expenses are, you know, a lot lower naturally to run the business. So uh, really figure out like how much money you have to work with, like model out your finances. It sucks, but you'll really, you'll get a good grip of what you can afford to do as a business. Um, and you know what, hopefully you'll find out what options best for you. Yeah. I think you answered that really well. Um, th that's kind of what I was getting at is the idea of essentially getting to the point where you can make enough money to pay yourself and live and continue doing it. Yeah. That that's kind of what I mean. Cause there's some people out there like Alex Ramosi, I'll bring him up again. For example, one of the things he talks about is, you know, over delivering right away. And that's not, it does, that doesn't have to be mutually exclusive, but over delivering always making your free stuff. Um, amazing, providing a ton of value for free, building that, that following that base before you're actually monetizing it would depend partially on the industry, but it's like, I agree with that. And I think that is extremely effective for, he talks about the idea of the fact that you can 10 X goodwill quicker than you can 10 X profit, right? 10 X in profit in a year would be pretty difficult, but if you can 10 X the number of people that follow you and trust you and believe in your brand, then when you do monetize, you're essentially, if you take the same percentage of people that would buy your 10 X from where you would have been. So he talks a lot about that. And I think the value proposition in that is it does make sense. But another thing to factor in is the fact of, okay, how long can I actually go without making some money, without having some source of revenue or income coming in to the point where I can still keep doing it? And I think that's kind of what I was getting at the most mm -hmm. um, is that idea of, okay, I have this business idea. Like for you, for yours, for example, I think you brought up a good point with this podcast, just say. And the income isn't necessarily really the number one reason I'm doing this podcast, right? It's more for networking and, and just growth and following influence stuff in general, but also just learning. Um, first, but it is something that obviously you'd be dumb not to want to grow it, you know, and eventually monetize it. But it's just not, it's just not phase one for it versus something like flipping or something where you're making commissions, you know, on every single one and you are making money right away as soon as you start doing it. I think they're just, you know, different business styles, obviously. And I guess my question to you, Chad, is how would you approach the the first business style, the, the podcast type style, kind of the longer game of it? Um, then would you move back into, I mean, you'd, you'd maybe be forced to, right? But move back into that workaholic mindset or kind of what were some, what were some key qualities and skills that you used to get from the beginning when you were making no money? to scaling to the point where you could at least pay yourself a McDonald's, you know, a minimum wage salary type of thing to keep going. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really important to, to note at least that, you know, everyone's story in business is different. Um, you know, what works for me is not going to work for most people. And, you know, there's, there's not like a, a one, one size fits all approach to this. Um, and we do, by the way, we have built out um, a free version of our, our product and that's really all we have at this point. Um, but, you know, I think the mindset, if you're going to run a business um, and really treat someone like a business is getting the revenue as soon as possible is, is what matters. You know, your business is there to make money unless it's not, you know, then it's a completely different story. Um, but yeah, in terms of getting from nowhere to somewhere, you know, zero to one, as they say in the startup world, is that's the hardest part about business. Um, I wouldn't say that I have figured it out myself. I've done it, you know, but I was also doing it with a, a business model like reselling that's really quite easy to do. Um, you know, you just are essentially taking something, finding it, you know, at a, a cheaper value than what it's worth and then selling it. It's, it's not super complicated. It's something that, um, you know, it, it's pretty easy to get from zero to one doing that. but. If you're trying to do something like create a technology startup, the zero to one game is a lot harder. Um, and I guess I'll, I'll hopefully have a better insight on this in a couple of months, you know, if we get there. But um, I would just say that that's the hardest part. Um, just try to figure out a way to make a dollar. Try to figure out a way 
you know, to just do anything, to make anything, get to the next step, the next investor, the next connection, the next video of your posting and, you know, whatever the next step is, um, I think that's sort of the framework and you'll build up, you'll build off that over time. Um, and it's really hard to, it's hard to see, you know, like the big picture when you're working day to day. And I think that's something that doesn't really get talked about enough and, you know, with entrepreneurs. What are some important qualities and skills that you think separate successful entrepreneurs from those who fail? And when I say fail, I don't mean a learning failure, but I mean a completely giving up failure. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't want to speak too much on success because I'm still trying to get there. Um, but what I found has made has allowed me to make progress, I'll say. Um, and maybe has, has stopped some other people that I've seen is the ability and sort of like the acceptance of just doing something. It's, I think it's, it's completely underrated to just go and like try to make a sale or try to talk to a prospective developer. If you're trying to build a technology platform or you know, try to talk to an investor, schedule a meeting, make a pitch deck, do a pitch competition. It's some people really struggle. I think most people really struggle actually making that first step for whatever reason. And there's a lot of totally valid reasons. Um, but if you really want to create a business, I mean, you're totally self-motivated. No one, most people are, you know, you might have some friends that are like, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's just you um, and your co-founders, I guess, if you have them. Uh, but like being able to just take that step um, and do the next thing that needs to be done. I think that's like the most important thing that people should focus on if they're trying to, to get going. Definitely agree with that. The, the first step is the hardest step, but taking mm -hmm. it is also the most important. Um, and, and it, it also might be a little bit of a lonely journey, right? I think putting yourself out there right away, like you're talking about, is 100% the hardest thing for people to do because it kind of, it's kind of embracing a vulnerability, right? You're putting yourself out there for something that you really enjoy or you really believe in. And it's opening the door for everyone else out there to not believe in it and not mm -hmm. like what you're doing and want you to do something else because that's not the person that they thought you were. And I think that step is obviously extremely difficult, but I think everyone who's ever built something that they really truly believe in and love and made an impact had to go through that first step at some time or another. So I do, I do think it is, it is, it is a necessary one and it is definitely a necessary quality uh, and skill for a successful entrepreneur. Sure. So Chad, moving on from that a little bit, now I want you to give some advice, uh, put yourself in the shoes of, of maybe someone who, you're going to be humble, you know, and say, you don't have a ton of wisdom. You don't have as much experience, which we're obviously young, but put yourself in the place as if what you know now is a lot of knowledge. What kind of advice would you give to an entrepreneur who's just starting out and has a fear of failure in the beginning and just a fear of the unknown? Um, yeah, I mean, it is scary. Um, it's not something that I, I, or I think anyone is really, you know, completely worked through or maybe ever will. Um, you know, we're conditioned to try not to fail. You know, um, failure is not good. Like, you don't want to just start a business with the intention to fail, you know, just to fail and even just to like learn something. Although to some degree that's, you know, what I've done in the past just to kind of, you know, get going with something. But, you know, you want to try not to fail. But you also have to realize that, you know, if you take a, some sort of like a, a managed risk for the business, failure, you know, failing the business, let's say, um, there's a lot of ways you can define failure, but let's define failure as your business, you know, ceasing to exist. Maybe you run out of money. Um, that's usually what, you know, gets people, maybe there's no market demand. Um, let's call that a failure and say, you know, if you fail in that regard, that really the only thing that's going to come out of it is positive. You know, the amount of things I've learned from this last business has been incredible. And 
I'm better off starting the next one, whether or not this business is successful or not. Um, and just like knowing that, and it's something that I think it's one of those things that you know intuitively and you hear all the time and people will hear from me and just be like, yeah, that's right. Like, awesome. But you really got to go through it yourself to realize it's true. Um, and I think that just comes from doing, you just gotta, you gotta do something and then just see what happens. If it works, it works. If not, just have the mindset going in that if it doesn't work out, that's going to be okay. And this is actually something that I know the four hour work week talks about spoiler alert, if you haven't gone there yet. Um, but it's like, you know, like picture like the worst thing that could possibly happen if you fail and then realize that right off the bat, that's the worst case scenario. It probably is not going to happen. And then what is the worst case scenario? You die, your business fails and you die. That's probably like, to me, that's like the worst case scenario I could think of. And then it's like, I died. My business is no longer existing. Well, who cares? Like, I mean, I don't want to die, but like, not, you see what I'm saying? Like the worst case scenario itself usually isn't that bad. Um, and, and most of the time it's like the worst case scenario is okay. I'm embarrassed publicly because all my friends saw me fail. Um, and you know, that's more like a personal thing. Right. And I still have that. I still get negative feedback about things that, you know, it sucks to get and hurts me, but, um, you gotta like, gotta just kind of learn to, to shake it off and, and know that you're, you're, you're definitely capable of doing, you know, what you set your mind to. Um, and, and you just gotta, I think you really just gotta do stuff and, and just learn that for yourself. Yes. Definitely. I think it ties in well to that, that number one skill you said, which is essentially taking that first step and just putting yourself out there and doing something. Um, and also what you were talking about as far as failure goes, viewing that what's the worst possible thing that could happen, you know, taking death out of it because death would probably happen either way, whether you did the business or not, barring it's not something that's you know extremely dangerous, but what's the worst thing that's going to happen? It fails. I, I lost some time and now I get fired from my job or I quit my job and I go back and start working for a competitor or the same company. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like that's what, how he describes it. He's like, if it wouldn't have worked out for me, then I would have gone back and started working for the same company again. Cause I was a good employee mm -hmm. or for someone else. And, but I would have known deep down that I gave it a shot. And I think that's what a lot of people set themselves up into a position where they can't even do that or don't choose not to do that. Think they can't do that. And then they never actually really, give it that shot. And as an entrepreneur, I think that's what separates you is you're someone, whether you're successful or not, you're someone that, that went for it. And another thing you define failure as, you know, the business ceasing to exist, which I think is a very true literal definition of failure for the business. But you also said that you can learn a lot from that. So I think you almost don't even, or shouldn't even maybe it depends on the context, view that as failure and view failure simply as not starting, not trying or giving up halfway through when there is still potential. Cause obviously, I mean, if you give up on something that's already dead, you're not really giving up on it. Right. But one thing that I've heard talked about as well, I heard it from Hormozy, but it wasn't him originally who said it is a guy who was selling. He was at the end of like a sales pitch or was the close closing of his speech or something. He asked, a member of the audience, would you invest? And the answer was no. And his response was why? And the response then was because I don't have enough money. And he goes, okay, what's your, what's your salary right now? And the reply was 50,000. Okay. 50,000. He's like, do you know how long have you been working in that space? And she was, you know, X amount of time. And it's like, okay, you're costing yourself $950,000 a year, not knowing how to make a million. And that might sound super dumb to someone that hears that. Well, like, duh, you know, or that's not every situation is the same. Obviously not. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you say that making money is a skill and there's some luck involved, but I think a lot of people would say that making more money correlates with certain skills and Okay, so if you're extremely skilled, you'd be able to figure out a way to eventually get to a million dollars or at least be working towards that in a year. Then I think you could be arguing 
the point that you are costing yourself X amount of money by not knowing how to make a million, right? Whatever the difference is between your current salary and that. Mm -hmm. And obviously that's far out there. I surely don't make a million. I'm costing myself right now as we speak that. But I think that concept is definitely an interesting one to ponder on as well. Um, how about failure in your particular journey? What's, what's the biggest failure you've actually experienced that has taught you some major life lessons? Yeah. Um, first I'll, I'll say, like add on to all that. Um, I think failure is self-defined. And what I mean by that is, you know, you might look at what I've done or haven't done as a failure, but if I don't look at it as a failure, then it's not a failure, at least from my perspective. And so looking at, you know, everything in life or trying to get over that hurdle of failure, um, I think the answer is just to, you know, change your perspective on it and know that if you don't think it's a failure, then how is it a failure? You know, it's failure to other people, but who cares, right? Um, my biggest failure, if, you know, if I were to define it as that, um, I think it's, it's ultimately, uh, and I think this is true with a lot of people, it's, it's not what we did, um, it's what we didn't do. And you sort of said this a little bit, you know, earlier. Um, for me, you know, it's not doing a lot of things. Like I really wanted, I was really interested in, um, you know, like programming and computer science um, when I was like probably 12, 13. And I really wanted to create an app and I really wanted to create a technology business. I was just like too lazy to like actually follow through with it and continue to do it. And I took a number of attempts trying to get there, but I just gave up for whatever reason. And none of them were valid reasons. It was, it was all just like, I, I could feel it myself. I just like, and I'm way too lazy to do this. Um, and that I think is probably, you know, where my, my biggest failures lie, at least like the professional side is, you know, not doing things for any reason, you know, for no, for no reason other than just, I didn't, you know, I, I wanted to do them, but I just didn't do them. And I knew not doing them that I was letting my future self down. So I've tried to fix that a little bit. I've tried, you know, I'm trying to relearn it again. Um, gotten farther than I have in the past, but we'll see if, you know, if that cycle persists, I sure hope not. What's something, Chad, that you wish you have known starting out in your entrepreneurship journey? And we may have covered it already, but to reiterate that you know now and you would tell your past self. Yeah. Uh, I started my entrepreneurship journey when I was like, probably like, I don't know, eight or something. So I'd probably be a quadrillionaire by now if I, you know, knew, knew what I knew then. But um, I think, uh, I think it's, uh, you know, I think one of the most important things that I've learned recently is scale um, and thinking of your business through the terms of scale. Um, and also like thinking big. And those two sort of go together. You know, for a long time, I was just kind of like trying to make money and like try to get to the next step or make this much more money or hit this milestone. And I hit some pretty cool milestones um, that I was working towards for a long time. But what I started to realize is that, you know, it, it's not that much harder, I don't think, to create a billion dollar business than it is to, you know, make $50,000 a year. Obviously, that might, you know, I haven't gone anywhere near that. I haven't actually raised money at this point. Um, but like the principle of it is like, you know, there's people that are like my dad poured concrete, for example. Um, he'd work like 40 to 60 hours a week. He hated it during, you know, we get from Wisconsin up here. It's like negative 20, 30 degrees. And he's out there pouring concrete, or, you know, doing whatever he's doing. I don't know if he pour concrete, negative 30, but might freeze. But, uh, he's, you know, he's working on his hands and knees for 40 years. You can't tell me that that's, that that's easier work than, you know, a technology startup of some sort. And what, what sort of looking at it through that perspective taught me is if you can find something that scales, um, you know, a really big market or a really good business model, it's, it's the same process. It's getting from zero to one and then one to infinity. That's all it is. That's all you're trying to do. No matter what business you're doing, what market you're in, what your you know, goals or ambitions are. If you want to make something big, you can make it big. You just have to have all the right, you know, you have to have all the right ingredients. Um, 
but that's I think that was probably like one of the most interesting things that I've learned going through like a startup process over the last year is you know it's free to think big and your big ideas are going to attract a lot more interest anyway so yeah I'd, I'd go with those yeah and tying in with that is just we've said it before but I want to hit on it again is the importance of taking that first step and mm -hmm. giving it a shot because if you don't ever do that you know you will never end up with like you said the actual difficulty of pouring concrete like hard physical labor versus a startup company of any sort yeah it's not more difficult but you mm -hmm. have to there's some sacrifices you have to make with it obviously and and there's people that are in different situations obviously but if you're in that position and if you really want it it is something that you will have to do is take that first step and then just i love what you said about zero to one and one to infinity because that's what it is right it's mm -hmm. it's not making money to making money and then how do i make more money and and earlier you mentioned you know making more money i, I can't remember how you worded it but scaling it like efficiently so you first you make the money then you make it better margins you make it more efficiently and then you scale it to massive size right essentially that's that's how it works and yeah. i think that's uh i think that's a really smart way of looking at it and another question i want to ask you chad is how do you set and prioritize financial goals both personally and within your company for the short term and then also over the long term yeah so short term for both of them i guess to spend as little as possible. Um, I'm just like naturally more conservative with my money. Um, I've, I've never been a big spender. You know, I was just kind of like, why the heck am I even trying to make money in the first place if I'm not going to use it? But um, I, I really see business as like, you know, it's going to cost me like the opportunity cost of that dollar that I could have put in, you know, to the business is a lot higher than a dollar. Um, if you look at like, I like to play around with the compound interest calculators online and, you know, that dollar is going to be kind of crazy in like 40 years. And so to me, it just, it pains me to spend like 50 bucks on something when that, that money could just have so much more impact down the line. Um, so my, my philosophy is definitely spend as little as possible, at least now. Um, my sort of like, I've always thought of it like, when I have like a bunch of cash in the bank or invested, obviously, um, then my returns can, you know, pay for my lifestyle. That's sort of the point I want to get to, um, where, where the initial nest egg isn't being affected at all. Um, but I'm not there yet. So until I get there, it's definitely going to just be grow, grow, grow and keep growing, you know, and, you know, I don't need anything. I don't need a car, a nice car. And I mean, my chances of being a homicide victim are probably higher driving a Ferrari than, you know, a, a different car anyway. So, um, like, it's totally not necessary. And the more you really think about it, like, the reason why I, I used to want, like, really nice cars and nice clothes and shoes and everything. Um, it's like, why did I want those things? Not half time, it's not even for me. And so, yeah, that's like my whole thing is like, you know, I like to spend as little as possible and invest as much as possible and then just like try to build something awesome with it. What's the meaning of life to you, Chad? <laughs> that was a good question. I, I hope you, I hope you ask everyone that. Um, <laughs> I don't know what the meaning of life is. And, uh, I'm taking a philosophy class right now and I don't know if I can in good faith answer that question. Um, I'm not sure if there's a meaning to life. And I do know that, um, if you don't look too much into the question that you can kind of create your own meaning. Um, and that's one thing like that's awesome about philosophy is you don't really, there's no like hard truth in, in terms of what's true and what's not. Um, and so yeah, create your own meaning of life and, uh, make sure it's, make sure you, you can look back at it and, and be proud of it. I love that too. Chad, where do you see yourself in five years, both personal development wise, and then also wrapping up with business wise? Yeah. So personally, um, so I, 
I don't know if I have any. I should have some hard set goals. I think that's a very important piece of preaching anything that I found is setting those goals. Um, you know, everyone will talk about that, but um, you know, I I really want to just like do more stuff and enjoy life more. And I spent a lot of time, you know, for the last like four years just grinding. Um, and I want to get to a point where I can find a little more balance. And work-life balance is something that I don't think any of us are ever going to figure out. Um, but trying to get better at that is what I'm going to try to strive to do over the next five years. And, you know, just like having more fun with the people that I really care about and, uh, you know, enjoying the time. Like I'm in school right now for a couple more years. And I know once I'm out, I'll never be able to come back realistically. So enjoying that time now um, and, and just being mindful of it. Um, in terms of business, one of my goals, like my actual tangible goals, is to be venture back. And I'm not sure if that's this startup or the next one, um, but I'd like to actually raise, you know, a significant amount of money um, and actually have a startup with a team, you know, a big team. Um, and I think that's, I think it's definitely attainable. I think once we work a little more on proving our product fit, um, we'll probably try to start raising money. And I'm looking forward to that process. I think that's a great goal to have. And I think that, ties in well with what we originally started talking about here, which was kind of the, the purpose, the purpose of your business as a whole and, and what you want to do with it. And Chad, I like the way you think. I think you got a good head on your shoulders. Um, you got some good values and I think you have the right character and really mindset, what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur going forward. And I'm wishing you nothing but the best. Thank you very much for coming on this podcast. The time absolutely flew by. I feel like we could have done this for three hours. Um, appreciate it man and uh wishing you the best